Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. Mike Schaefer joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. It is a uh, very much a fall afternoon here on Wednesday before Nebraska plays Indiana in what is uh, a pivotal week, it feels like, a little bit for Nebraska football as they try to bounce back from the Minnesota game and the bye week. Gentlemen, what, uh, where, where do we want to start? we want to start with uh, Maurice Washington not being on the team but not being kicked off the team, but probably being in class that nobody really <laughs> Maybe. knows? Maybe he's in class. I, supp- I suppose that's the, the big let's, news. Let's start with that. Um, what, uh, what do you make of what Scott Frost said on Monday about Maurice Washington and, and really, I guess, overall his time here at Nebraska? You want to go or you want me to go? Go for it, Bronze. It, uh, from what Scott Frost said, I, th- I think essentially Nebraska felt like they had done all that they could with him. Um, I, we've talked uh, on, on the message board a lot about the fact that Nebraska's been exerting a lot of time and manpower in keeping Maurice Washington kind of on track, um, not only academically, but as a teammate and as a player. And I, I think it, it kind of got to the point where they kind of threw their hands up a little bit and said, look, we, we can't do much more because my opinion, um, you know, it, you can help a guy. And I think Scott Frost is admirable in, in doing that. But at some point you can't have different rules for one guy uh, versus the rest of the team. And I think it was kind of getting to that point a little bit with Maurice. Um, we saw you know, his behavior, I guess, even after games. I mean, he, he goes running off by himself uh, after a win, after a loss. Um, just, you know, it didn't really ever seem like he was kind of bought into the group uh, in, in the team. I mean, even sitting by himself on the bench. And, uh, you know, the, the bizarre thing in Illinois where he was tweeting from the locker room and responding to faux Polini tweets and stuff like that. It just didn't ever seem like, um, you know, he, he was kind of team focused in that way and I, I think that's kind of what it came down to for him yeah I find I thought it was sad the situation because I I always am sad and when there's somebody who has tremendous talent and you it's so clear that this person can be special on the football field and it can take them places and obviously he's he has a rough backstory and has had some tough things in his life and so I root for kids like that to um reach their maximum and with a support system around them kind of iron out some of the wrinkles maybe that were in their life previously and I actually I know this is maybe a little bit uh naive um because you get guys like Maurice Washington one because they can help you win games let's not that's obvious but I do also think coaches do take to heart like Scott Frost I believe he's genuine when he was talking about like you sit you know, in front of the parents or guardians of a kid and you say, I'm going to watch over this guy and we're going to, we're going to, you know, basically be like his dad, um, away from home. Mm -hmm. Uh, not just for Maurice, but for a lot of kids. And I think coaches, there are a lot of coaches like Frost who are really genuine in that. And that's why it becomes so hard at some point because it's like they're almost your kid a little bit. Like you want them to get straight and figure it out, but you just know at some point that, you got to have the tough love and say this is we can't have it anymore. And for all the reasons Bruns ironed out or mentioned, and 
there's there was plenty more just behind the scenes. I know that it was a painstaking process for this staff to like watch over Maurice. Yeah, and there was so many stuff we didn't even hear about. And and I think what they needed, and you kind of got the sense just earlier in the season, listening to them talk about Maurice Washington. They needed him to meet them halfway at some point, and he wasn't doing that. I mean, he had to. There's a lot of growing up still for him, and uh, I don't know what the the future holds with Maurice Washington. I wouldn't necessarily say he's never going to play for Nebraska again, but it it seems unlikely. But maybe some time away from the team can get him to reflect on what his values are and what's important to him, and. If we're being honest, there's not going to be a ton of other options for Maurice either at this mm-hmm. point, given his legal troubles in California, given that, I mean, he wasn't, he was recruited, but there was teams that shied away from him for all of the reasons that were mentioned in his history before Nebraska even got involved in December of 2017. I mean, he missed an entire season of high school play. He had to transfer multiple high schools. We don't have to get into all of that, but... If he really wants to make football happen, his best avenue to that is still at Nebraska. I think that's probably why they don't want to shut that door, why he may not want to shut that door, but they need him to meet them halfway. Because, I mean, you you said it, and we don't have the specifics, nor do we really need to go into it, but they've done a lot to try to put him in the best situations possible uh, to maximize both his ability to develop as a person and as a football player, which is a valuable asset to him. But they no longer have him, and uh, at least for the time being, or for this Indiana game, if you will. And I guess that leads into this. You don't have Maurice. We're anticipating no Wandale Robinson this week, uh, and likely anytime soon. So what do you think the picture looks like at running back beyond Dedrick Mills, who seems like he's going to get the ball a lot, but what about the guys behind him? Who do you anticipate we see on Saturday? Uh, it'll be interesting who the second guy up is. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have a clear gauge on it yet. Listening to Troy Walter's audio today suggests maybe it uh, could be Brody Belt for all we know. But, I mean, Wyatt Mazur. Um, do you think Ramirez behind those guys? Bruns, what was your read? I, I don't know. Like, it, it's – Troy Walter's was kind of – he said, "You'll see Brody Bell. They were hoping to get Ramirez in. Like that—that's where very non-committal to everything. Yeah, like it—it it, it didn't really seem like that. There's a solid like after Mills. This is who we're throwing in there. I would be surprised if it's not Missouri if he's healthy. That's what I would guess. Um, but I mean, you've had Ramirez Johnson playing two games. Um, he's got two more if you want to preserve that. Did he played in Minnesota?" Uh, I believe that was the. I know the. I thought the first was Northwestern. There was a game he got in from like three carries. Yeah, yeah. he he carried it late. It might have been Northern Illinois. Yeah. When they were winning big, Uh, like the last drive when we were coming down to the field, I think. So they. So they only have two games left with Ramir, before he would go over. Right, and I I think that. I think you owe it to Ramir and you owe it to yourselves a little bit as a program where if you trust him 85% of the way, and I think that's probably where the ballpark of where Nebraska is with him, you, you got to put him in there, right? I mean, like he's a, he's a well, sprinter. He's a, he's a big play threat. 
I, I think you just got to give it a shot because, I mean, you kind of know what you've got at that position otherwise, right? Yeah. Um, here, Ryan Held was – I was by Held. You were by, by Walters. Held was a little more committal to the idea that it's uh, basically these two weeks are a chance to see what he can do and throw him in there because uh, I'm looking for his exact quote. Yeah, his, this is a quote from Held. He said, we've got to put him in a position to see what he can do. Um, so uh, he, and that was in regards to a question about this maybe being an audition week for Ramir Johnson to decide if you want to. So I think I like that philosophy this week and maybe even next week where you say, okay, let's see, let's get him out there on the field. And if he can, if it takes off, let this thing take off then. And he could still end up playing eight games Mm -hmm. if you made a bowl game. And that is not a wasteful uh, redshirt season. I mean, through the time of college football, I've covered it back when we didn't have this rule. If you played like seven or eight games and you got some good snaps, that was viewed as useful material for you going forward. I go back to, to when it was 2011 when Amir Abdullah, Green, and Braylon Hurd were all freshmen. I mean, that eight games and, and solid, solid work in eight games was more than those guys would have gotten that year. More than likely. I mean, I, I, Amir got quite a, quite a bit of work Amir on special teams, too. Amir and Green. Bird was the one that didn't get much. But, I mean, that's... I think there's more value in that now because, the. I mean, my thought is, is at least by the time Amir Johnson's a senior, are, are you going to get more out of him now? Or, or it, it just feels like you're going to have a lot more depth at running back You've four all, years from now. It's one of those positions where you can also recruit pretty fluidly to, like, I mean, every year you're going to have some new hot shot. Right. I mean, they've got a couple in the, in the system. Scott Morrison, Morrison right Yeah, now. I mean, who look really good. Uh, so you, you figure running back's one of those positions where I'd, I would be less likely to redshirt guys as you go forward here. I kind of understand why they wanted to this season, but now the way it's taken shape, I, I, I'm coming more around to the viewpoint of play them and let's go. So, here's where I'm going to complain about something. Prepare yourselves. But they talk about, like, the the quote that he says about Ramir Johnson. They brought him up continually. They mentioned before the Northwestern game that that might be an opportunity. And I distinctly recall him going on the field, lining up several times, never getting the ball once, played, I think, four snaps in that. Like, I, I know that this rule is relatively new and you... It's not just as simplistic as getting guys out there when you want to and in the right situations. But if you're going to put Ramir Johnson in a game and you're going to strike a game away from what you can use towards that red shirt, you have to play him more or at least see what he can do, right? Because it it felt like that was a total waste. And if they do the same thing against Indiana where he goes in for three carries, I have a hard time imagining they're going to have any idea what they're getting out of it. It just feels like they're so tepid this year in committing to playing some of these guys. And I I haven't figured out why, because they talk about how much they like them in practice, and yet then they don't put them on the field to see what they can do. And so on one hand, it's everything is really positive about what's happening over here. On the other, in the stadium, they're just on the sidelines with their helmet. So I, I'm just continually confused by the dichotomy of, what is being said versus what is happening. And the truth is obviously somewhere in the middle. And I just don't understand. I mean, 
we'll see this weekend if Vermeer actually plays. I kind of feel like we're headed towards the same thing we've heard in recent weeks. Now, without Wandale Robinson, changes yeah. things a little bit. I, I think he's going to play, but it'll be interesting to see if they really pull the trigger and, you know, jump into the deep end here in the 12-foot end of the pool. We'll see. Um, I think the fact that it's been this style of this season and just how it's been so rugged and, like, it's not a it's not been easy for no. any running back. So I'm, I'm sure that's maybe part of it. Like, they're thinking to themselves, like, geez, there's not they're not getting any push up front. And you're going to put this kid out there who's – still growing in his size, you know, in the weight room and all that stuff. Um, so you're in maybe a way doing the kid a favor instead of thinking like, well, we'll send him into this game against rugged defenses with our O-line that can't block and he'll get five carries for three yards type of thing. So that could be part of it. I think if Scott Frost's offense were really flying like they kind of expected and in the future how they hope it will be, I think you're going to see them loosen up a whole lot with the young guys because one the score will be more favorable to right. do so and also it, it, it'll just be more free-flowing where you can get a skill guy out there and it doesn't feel like he has to make a play right now to win the game for your team you know it's just it's just kind of fun football yeah. at that point I, I think the thing for me and I agree with you that it, it does seem at certain positions it seems like okay well you know, you, I think you need to you you owe yourself as a, a program more of a look at some guys. Like, I get it. Like, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, that's totally different. The physical but, aspect of it is different, right? But when you've got when when you have shown for seven games that you do not have a wide receiver that can take the top off of a defense or get open with any kind of consistency or block the perimeter or, or block the perimeter well, I mean. I don't know why you're I, – I mean, Darian Chase didn't dress for practice today, but he's a guy that I continually go back to with, okay, if you're going to play him, play him. Like, give him a chance to work through things because, you know, it, it's one thing if you've got a guy like Mills who you're going to count on to be your guy. It's another thing if you've got veteran guys who are not producing at the at the level that you need them to. I, I think you you have to take a closer look at those skill position guys. I mean, that, that's just my opinion on it. And I, I'm, I'm Especially because the people that they'd be playing over, whether they're kind of I Noah or Mike Williams, you've either seen enough from or, in for being harsh with reality, they're not on your team next year. Right. Their development is less of importance than what they can give you in the short term, and in the short term, they've given you nothing. Right. I, this It's just baffling to watch some of these personnel things. And, again, I'm not a coach. I don't know what goes on with some of this. But when you continually bring up different players every week about, yeah, so-and-so might see the field, but then they don't or they don't get the ball if they are on the field, it just strikes me as hollow every single time I hear it now. And wide receiver is definitely one where, you know, where's, where's McQuitty at this point? Is he being hurt during the fall? I mean, he had a catch in the first game. I don't know if we've seen him a whole lot since then and that's another guy where i think you kind of at this point want to know what he's going to give you in this program or you're just not going to be able to count on him going forward so especially with home, it's different with road games because you only can take so many people right but jamie nance Marion houston darian chase etc would all be expected to suit up this weekend i'm a little worried that not one of those receivers is going to burn through their red shirt this year because it it's wide. O- it's so wide open yeah. for one or two of those kids, if to if they had kind of been what you thought, 
to just rip through and be part of it, play eight or nine games this season. And, you know, that, that concerns me a little bit that we haven't seen that happen. And I don't think we're going to. I mean, Chase, maybe, but he, if he's out this week, that, what, he has three. Has he played three, Chase? I think he only has two games left that he can use, right? Maybe one. I, maybe I think one. he's played three. Um, but he's close on it. Gene, I mean, I asked Boodle the other day about the young receivers because he sees them all the time, and he said Chase is really, you know, impressive, and he brought up Jamie Nance too. So um, those guys can be important in this program. I'm just surprised we haven't seen them yet. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to ask this question because it's unclear who Nebraska's quarterback might be on Saturday. But what do you think the offense looks like as they try to win this game against Indiana? Yeah, it, the quarterback thing's really interesting because uh, Adrian's been in pads, and we were told after Wednesday's practice that he practiced, We, but it was very kind of coy by Mario Verduzco, as you would expect. Uh, this is a game of chicken between two sides with their QBs this week about who's playing and who's not. If you uh, just on Wednesday as we're doing this podcast, if I had to make a guess, I'm gonna say no, Adrian. That's just my guess, uh, gut feeling. Um, and I think with that, I it's Vedral's been out there, which you wondered about because he got dinged. Um, but I I think I think they've been saving Luke since he played that one snap and they regretted it. I think they've been trying to be like smart about that and be like we're, we're really gonna need Luke type of thing. Um, not just as like a bit player, but like as an important part. And so I, I see a lot of run stuff. Um, they worked on offense last week during the bye. 90% of what they did was base run stuff during the live periods. And if you have Vedral or McCaffrey running the show, um, I think... Or Bunch. Bunchy. 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 Let's not forget Bunchy. Um, the QB run part has got to be a part of it, especially if McCaffrey plays. But also, it'll be interesting to see what kind of staple runs with the backs they've settled on because they worked on it. Um, and if they can get anything at all going with that, that's going to be kind of interesting. Yeah, I uh, just going into that, Cade Warner talked on Monday out in the hallway about perimeter blocking. And that's something that you know we don't discuss a lot here. Last year, they made the switch. They put Warner in as an outside wide receiver, even though he had spent most of his time at the slot because he was just blocking better in practice than Mike Williams. Nebraska starts to take off running the ball after that Purdue game. I mean, I, I really do think that there's something to the idea. We talk a lot about the offensive line, and they haven't been very good. Teams are coming downhill on Nebraska, and they are not stopping the second and third units nearly enough or even slowing them down. So they... They've got to do a better job with, with edge blocking. If that improves, I think you could see Diedrich Mills have a nice day on Saturday. I, I think that he's gotten better um, if they can put him in some good spots. I mean, one of the things with Maurice Washington and Wandell out of the equation, you sort of eliminate a lot of the second guessing of why is Mills running the outside runs and why is Washington running the inside runs. It, in some ways, it's a little bit simplistic. You have your back, you're going to feed them especially if you have quarterback concerns right now. Uh, I, it may not be the worst thing for Nebraska that they go into this game with the idea that they got to line up and just go yeah. forward. 
and remove some of the other stuff that they haven't done very well. I'd be really disappointed if Nebraska doesn't play with a ton of fire in the trenches in this game. Because I actually think, as weird as it seems with how bad they played the last game, because this team's kind of undermanned right now, and the I think this fan base feels like this they're on edge right now, I feel like it's going to be an emotional stadium, actually, and like going to be actually a good environment when it when this game kicks off and they they need to feed off of it and they need an early drive um of confidence for those kids finish the drive yeah that don't play as much where they stick one in the end zone and it's like all right here we go uh and that old line needs it badly well if if, and I, i think if you don't see that fire um up front i think that's pretty telling as well i mean coming off the bye week uh a lot of talk about you know, that's all they worked on was, you know, run plays and, and moving guys up front. And I don't know, it, it we, we talked about the, the previous two games, Northwestern and Minnesota being, you know, a two-game season basically. This, this one, these two feel even bigger than those because if, if you don't get at least one of these games, uh, you, you're probably going to be home in December. I mean, that's just kind of what it feels like to me. So, um, you know, I, I think this is going to be – an interesting game to take the temperature of where this program is right now in terms of how the season could potentially go. Fair? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. All right, we are going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we are going to uh, reintroduce the wheel with a special guest spinner. You don't want to miss that next (laughs) on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And we are back. We didn't actually go anywhere. We're still where we were currently seated when I told you that we were leaving. I took a sip of this delicious Mr. Pib. Yes. Extra. Pib extra. Uh, Brian has his foo-foo coffee. Yeah. Sort of. I do. Uh, as I was uh, dry, I drove by uh, with my foo-foo coffee, and I noticed there used to be a roller skating rink that yeah. was over there, and it's, being, no longer it's there. torn down. Skate zone is um, gone. What's happened to roller skating rinks? Because it seems like something that should still be in play and very effective with society. Is this a Seinfeld bit? No. Like, are you setting up something here? <laughs> no, I, I, I think they should be around. I don't get why kids of any, no matter with all our technology, would be turned off by roller skating. I mean, were you guys big uh, Omaha roller skaters? I roller skated a little bit when, as a youngin. Yeah, you used to have, like, that was a thing back in, like, elementary No, were you a big that... blades guy? Well... Rollerblades came about about the time that I was, you know, in probably like second grade. There, there was 
There was roller hockey was was yep. wildly popular. They used to play out on ESPN two all the time. Didn't you used to have the like OPS or Millard like uh, skate nights for your yep. school? Mm-hmm. And they would have one t- where it was like a couple skate, uh-huh. and there'd be like one cool kid, you know, who's like uh, five years ahead of his time, who's got a girl already, like in third grade, and you had to kind of mope off the, you know, with your little skates. A, a and, kid with the mustache already. Yeah, you had to go play, uh, you know. Tetris or something on the arcade. The thing I always remember about those was there was always like, it always seemed like there was an adult that was like way too good at roller skating. Like they probably went like five nights a week and would just be like skating backwards yeah. and like. As you're talking about that, I'm thinking of like the gif of those kids dancing that you always send. It's yeah. like the 80s kids. Like uh-huh. I'm imagining that's the adult on the roller skates trying a little too hard. It's pretty accurate. It's like. He knows all the people that work there because he's like a regular. <laughs> we didn't tease uh, roller skating talk, no. but I am excited that we yeah there, we there, got here. There should be that in drive-in theaters. Those are two things that have disappeared. There should be way more of, but we can get into drive-in theaters at another time. I, I feel like you need a <laughs> column where you just kind of go into you know what I miss. Yeah, and you drop two hundred and fifty. Maybe we can have a side podcast. Every week, you just give like a five-minute rant. About you know what grinds you my gears? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Old man Christopherson's weekly take. I like it. People would love it. I we're going to get in a sock talk next by. I think. I think okay. we need to get. Yeah, in that's some good. Stuff. You mentioned socks on my radio show the other day, and I, <laughs> I was kind of impressed by it. I was like, how does this guy keep working socks? Everything. <laughs> it's part of my. That's all I think about. All right. Um, <laughs> before we get to the wheel. Do you guys want to talk a little uh, basketball, having just attended Nebraska's media day? Uh, yeah. We were both there, Brian and I. Brian, what'd you learn? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you learned a lot. Uh, they're really interesting. This is not novel, I guess, but the, how they communicate is going to be something to watch and how they deal with, um, like, when they get into their grind and experience a few L's and like who is actually the leader is going to be interesting because what stood out to me in the conversations I had with the guys was how silent they all were for like weeks when mm-hmm. they first got together. And a couple of guys said they just like stayed in their dorm rooms and didn't even like, you know, kind of mix together. That's changed. And that's, but that's the task that Hoiberg and this staff has is to, uh, is to get that, that going. Um, I like some of the, um, like Cheatham. I think Cheatham is going to be a guy who has a good perspective yeah. um, through his experience playing college ball. Uh, I think those guys are going to be important. The kid who transferred from Tennessee, Derek, uh, Derek Walker. Walker um, you know, he knows what it's like to be on an elite team. So I think guys like that, they're the type of guys I think that need to emerge kind of as leaders in that locker room. It's, uh, I talked to Cam Mack at length for kind of the first time and he's a confident kid and is going to kind of be the the guy that kind of stirs that offense's drink so to speak um, and how he kind of goes I think is going to be will determine a lot about uh, how that offense looks um, you know you kind of being around those guys you, you realize pretty quickly how uh, challenged this team is going to be to rebound and play interior defense which that's a tough place to be in yeah. the Big Ten, and as big as uh, Ivan Wade Dryogo is, and the fact that he, you know, looks like 
down the road is going to be a very dominant big. He's still 17 years old playing American college basketball for the first time. Um, so going to have to avoid foul trouble because beyond him, I mean, you know, Kevin Cross, I think, is listed very generously uh, for the height that he is on the roster. I think he's I think he's listed at like 6'7", something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would say that he's 6'7". Um, so it, it how they kind of manage that will be fascinating to watch. But uh, I'm excited for this season because they're going to be fun to, fun to watch. Some nights are going to look great. Some nights I, th- I think it's going to be kind of tough sledding based on who the opponent is. I think they bought in. A, a lot of the guys talked about Doc with me, and they, you know, Whatever you say about Doc's tenure as a head coach, he did have some teams that really got after it defensively. And I think the guesswork, and it's probably fair, is that they're going to run and gun, and they're going to not be able to stop people, and the size is going to be a problem with that front. The one thing they do have going for it is Doc Doc had a team at Nebraska that was, like, miniature compared to these guys, uh, and they were a really good defensive team in the Big 12 that year. I mean, that was actually one of the most fun Husker teams probably the last 15, 20 years. The just year after March? Yeah. 2008? It was like Cookie and who else was on that squad? Well, Dog and Duro was like their biggest player on the court half the time, it felt like. Chris Ballum would be their occasional center to get the tip. I remember they had a chip Steve on. Harley. They had a chip on their shoulder. They went to Kansas one game that year, and – they fought him tooth and nail and lost by like six. But I remember even when Kansas was running out the clock, Doc had his guys playing defense and someone ripped the ball and took it in for a layup with like five seconds and ticked everyone off. But that's the, that's the kind of attitude he's got to try to get in these guys and get them to all play together on that end. And I don't know. It'll be interesting. The uh, kind of talking to guys too, um, it sounds like – it's too bad they don't have Delano Banton on the court this year. Yeah, because he's the guy that just kind of ask guys, you know, who, who's who stands out to you, um, and who should we really be watching for? And I, I think everybody said, you know, Delano Banton because of his skill, his length. He's every bit of six eight, um, so he's going to be fascinating once he gets eligible next year. But uh, the other guy I, that I'm curious to see is Samari Curtis, um, the freshman out of Ohio. He's Mr. Basketball in that state. Uh, probably Nebraska's best perimeter shooter right now. He's going to play some backup point guard. I, I think he's better got a, perimeter shooter than Matej Kavas. Yeah. That's, Whoa. I think Curtis shot uh, over 50% from three in their practices before they went to Italy. So Wow. Um, keep an eye on him uh, if he gets on the floor. He looks like he's physically ready too, which I think is always a big part of it in the Big Ten. That so. could just have people's jaws on the floor if they actually see a Nebraska team, even if they – lose more than half their games but if they can actually shoot it from the outside and have some guys that can stroke it it'll yeah. be like such a shock around here from some of the stuff we've seen would, would you do you think nebraska fans would see progress as i mean this team is going to lose some games yes. um, some if, if they schaefer's really if they lose a lot of like 96 <laughs> 93 type games stuff like that i don't think they're going to score that much I mean, I'll be happy to eat my words. I don't, I don't like, think they will. But, I mean, a high-scoring loss like that. Sure. Where it's Games just in the like, 80s. At least yeah. in, in conference play, like, I think teams are going to really slow yeah. them down. Right. I think they're capable of scoring a lot of points. I don't. Those are two different things. But I think the Big Ten style is going – watching Hoiberg 
and this offense playing in Big Ten style basketball is going to be fascinating all year long uh, because the Big Ten generally you haven't seen teams get out and run a whole lot uh, in the way that you do in the Big Twelve or the SEC or wherever else. And they're banking on that being part of their advantage is essentially yeah. they're a change up from what you see. Well, they're running option football here, guys. And and frankly, if they come out and they shoot well they can shoot some of those teams that are bigger than them out of the gym. So uh, I, I think they're going to be a fascinating team. I'm very excited uh, to watch them this season. I think they'll be endlessly frustrating for people because they're probably not going to look like the same team from night to night. Uh, but I, that's part of the process of weeding out you know, who you brought in when you bring in all of these new pieces, who's going to fit, who doesn't fit, what it ultimately looks like next year is kind of the, the bigger point to me than what it is right now, especially when you add Walker and, and Delano Banton, both of which are over, what, 6'8", to your, your roster, and you can actually play them. So, Shamil Stevenson, uh, does it seem like he's going to get his waiver? Hoiberg was kind of, didn't really go into it the last time he had availability about whether they'd even completed it. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of uh, expectation that he's going to be eligible right away for them, but uh, and with the way that this, the way their schedule actually sets up, I mean, it would be nice to have him. But I mean, I, I think they have a fairly manageable non-con schedule. Too is he someone that could play in the second half of the year? But yeah, he, he would in the be. First? He would be eligible. He would, if, if the waiver were approved, he would be eligible right from the, the jump in the season. And if it's not, he would be eligible in January. Yeah. So he'd miss two Big Ten games. <clears throat> Creighton trip to the Caymans. November fifth is the opener. Yep. They've that non con schedule, I mean it it's it's open for them to at least gain some confidence, get some wins and it's bad. Bill Snyder thinks it's a pretty, Yeah, it's bad. It's pretty nice schedule. <laughs> Anything else? Anything that's else a, that's a, no, that's all I got. I'm excited to see some uh some of the old the gr- old grumblers when they see this team they'll come up and jack up some threes like Transition eight, threes. Yeah, like five seconds into the possession and yeah. Hoiberg's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's how we're gonna pl- that's how we're gonna play. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh let us finish with this. We have a, a special guest wheel spinner. He doesn't uh, even know he it. He doesn't even know that he is our special guest wheel spinner, but we like this question quite a bit on the message board. So oh, whoa, there there goes the wheel. It's off. Spun by uh, Zebolt himself. Or, or is Zybolt. it? There's an argument over how we'll, we'll ask him how he pronounces that. It's a guy with the handlebar It's the, the gangs of New York. It's Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay. Bill the Butcher. Okay. Did Daniel Day-Lewis stop acting? I think he retired. He stuck to that? I, I, he has? Man, it seems like that is happening. Wheel's still going. <laughs> Zybolt really got into it. It's been a few weeks. He got his legs into that yeah. spin. Yeah. Threw it in there. All right. <laughs> Oh, so, stop. Oh. Yes, and because uh, there was only one topic on the wheel that Zybolt put together. <laughs> or Zbolt. Or Zbolt. Uh, here's the question. If you had to take one player from the past 10 years to Wait. add to this year. Or is it French? Is it Zbolt? <laughs> Zbolt. Zbolt. Hey, it's Zbolt. Glad you got that in. <laughs> if you had to take one player from the past 10 years to add to this year's current team, how would they affect the season in your opinion? Can be any position on the team. This player can only be available for just this season alone. It cannot be Sue, David, Gregory, Abdullah, or Rex. And he picked. He yes. 
He went with uh, a little off the path. He said he went with Anunua because a big physical receiver who could block and catch. Really think a guy like that makes a difference in every game for this team. I was actually, you want me to go first? I think I've got, I've got two guys that came to mind. Okay. Uh, the first one was actually Quincy Anunua because I yep. was like, this, this team needs some kind of big-bodied guy. And I, I think Quincy had the ability to take the top off the defense, not just uh, as he did against Georgia in a very rainy Gator Bowl. Um, the other guy, DeMorne, early DeMornay personnel would be interesting to me on this team just because I, I think he was... 2014? Yeah. Just a little spark on special teams, a little help on, uh, I, on on the field position stuff. Let me ask you this. What's the difference between 2014 DeMornay Pearsonell on special teams and 2019 J.D. Spielman? Uh, I feel like Pearsonell is better as a better, returner. Yes. I How about this? I will say pre-2015 Purdue DeMornay Pearsonell <laughs> is the one that I want on my uh. team. But that also includes the time that he got the screws in his foot during fall camp. And was asked about it incessantly. But yeah. and, he, and he liked when he got asked about it, yeah, too. I'll, I'll still take that DeMornay on my team. All right. That's BC? A, that's a pretty good answer, Pearson. You go. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm thinking. All I'm right. processing. I went on the defense here. Um, I went with Jared Crick, who I think doesn't get enough credit as being one of the really good defensive players that – Bo Pelini and that defense kind of put together. I think a lot of people think that it was all just because he was lined up next to Sue. And that was a portion of it in 2009. But then I invite you to go look at his 2010 season and let me know what Nebraska defensive lineman has come close to those numbers since. Because he was really damn good. And that 2011 team hurt when he was hurt. Uh, they, they needed him on that defensive line. And the other thing about Jared Crick in this 3-4 defense, you could have him as an end. And he's an end that could get upfield and provide a pass rush for you. I, I really think Jared Crick would be, like, 2010 Jared Crick on this defense right now would be a really good player. I think he'd be an all-conference type player for sure. Someone said Alex Henry, which is an interesting answer considering, although I don't think they've been in enough close games for it to matter at this point. No. Um, oh. Is, it, really is there an offensive line that you guys I'm play? trying to come up with – well, yeah, that's a good – I'm glad you led me to that. I think maybe like somebody like uh, Spencer Long um, would be huge right now. I mean, yeah. think if you had Spencer Long in the middle of that offensive line. and As a guard, or would you move him to center where he played in the NFL? Probably, uh, probably center. Can he play all of them? He can, can he play center and left guard? At the same time? Yeah. That would be something. <laughs> Um, Spencer Long would be a fair answer. There's a few linemen who you would take, you know, who had were had solid careers that could definitely help, you know, right now, like a Searles or a Quali. Quali, um, although he wasn't as noted during his Husker career, obviously he's had a big NFL career. So, but I think Spencer Long would be a good answer. I like Bronson's Pearson L pre-injury. Um, Can I give you, you an off-the-wall one? Yeah. Because he wasn't that productive, but everybody thought that he could be because of who was throwing him the ball. Why not Seathan Carter in a Scott Frost offense? Brunt's size. He's that's, out. That, that's He's a good out. One. I'd forgotten about Seathan Carter. Well, you and the quarterbacks that he played <laughs> with. They didn't even know he was there. Yeah. I, Seathan Carter would be a really interesting 
uh, option in this type of offense. I mean, a, a guy that was physically capable of blocking, but you could also get him out and match him up with different people. And you would think to create a play calling that could get him the ball and his ability to kind of get open. I mean, he's a better athlete than people realize, and he was open a lot, just wasn't always found. Is there a linebacker safety? I mean, you could – a Gary, Nate Gary. Um, Any of – Well, a Will Hag. Compton. Yeah. Dijon Gomes, Prince Mukamara. But I, I, to me, when you look at this question, it's got to be someone that is like closer to the ball or specifically a wide receiver that you think is an NFL caliber player. Like those are the, those are the things that come to mind to me when you're, you're trying to fix Nebraska's team. Crick's a good answer. Yep. He, Crick was really good. I mean, in college, he was such a good player. And in fact, if people went back and watched the – 2010, was it 10? Big Ten, Big 12 championship where Nebraska Against just Oklahoma, on where he's Oklahoma. just wrecking their line. Crick was dominant in that game. Yeah, he was really good. Um, so I mean, you would take that. I think I think we came up with a good list. Here, here are his numbers for that year. He had he played in 14 games, had 70 total tackles, 36 solo, 14 and a half tackles for a loss, nine nine and a half sacks. He's a damn good player. No one ever talks about him because he just he followed Sue. He had the amazing game against Baylor that mm-hmm. night. Uh, that that dang squirrel one in front of Sue's car. Evasive maneuver. It's <laughs> a good move by Sue. <laughs> one of many he's made since. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yeah, it's a good list. All right. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Zybolt, Zbolt, Zbolt, Zbolt. Uh, for uh, filling in and doing our job, and you didn't even know that you had done it. And maybe we won't even tell you this happened. You'll have to discover it yourself on yep. the podcast. Yeah. All right, any closing thoughts? Uh, I'm excited for the hype cast. I'm ready for some... Uh, you ready to get into Indiana? Some, some Tom Allen, Tim Allen talk. Talk some Hoosiers? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Some Gene Hackman Hoosiers? <laughs> I don't think so, Tim. Jimmy Jimmy Chitwood? Yes. Tom Crean? All the, all the hits. Tom Arnold? All right, we can uh, we can get into Indiana with the hype cast. We invite you to check out Husker twenty four seven this week. Uh, we will have plenty of content leading into this game for Nebraska. Big walk on weekend for recruiting. Nebraska inviting large portion of its hopeful walk on class to be out here. Uh, we're gonna have some stuff on that later in the week. There are several official visitors slated as well so we will get into all of that and you can find that information on husker 24 7. Now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.